Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida. <laughs> Hi, Foibles listeners. Welcome back to part two of Jean Harlow's life and the wrap-up of the Subversive Blondes in Hollywood series that we've been doing, that you stuck with us for almost over half a year now. Um, thanks for joining us, and here's the rest of it. Last time we ended the episode with uh, the first Gene Harlow and Clark Gable collaboration, which was Red Dust, which uh, you, despite it being problematic, we both enjoyed. And now we're talking about Gene Harlow's mega hit that comes out, uh, Dinner at Eight. Mega hit for the studio. Now, there was another film prior to this at a different studio called Grand Hotel. And basically it was star-studded, like Garbo was in it, and uh, all kinds of famous stars, Jim Crawford and all kinds of famous stars, were staying in this grand hotel, and, and it was vignettes of each of them. And it, that was a mega hit. So MGM said, we're going to do our own grand hotel, which is Dinner at Eight. And it's basically about a dinner party that's going to be held, and the, the people who are going to attend the dinner party and vignettes about them. They're all famous people. Marie Dressler, who wouldn't be famous now, but she, as an older woman, had just finally made her hit. And of course, she dies like within, within a year or two of this. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. That's too bad. She's so good. <laughs> she is. She, she, she is very good. She's very funny. She plays an aged actor who um, is down and out on money, and um, she's going around uh, to her ex- admirer Lionel Barrymore uh, trying to get money and she's very charming and and really really fun and then John Barrymore is in this and he's a washed up actor who's uh, at the end of his rope and then we have Jean Harlow and Wallace Beery plays her husband and again he was another famous star of the time he was in real life a total asshole and he was a really violent kind of abusive disgusting kind of character who would say nasty things and strut around and he looked it too he was big he was beefy he was kind of coarse looking he was really mean to Jean the first time they acted together really really unkind to her and so in this film they play husband and wife and she's always screaming at him pretty much it was probably pretty easy for her to play because she couldn't stand him and neither could Clark Gable yeah her her going off scene in this movie is very it's very good actually yeah it's quite cathartic you know there's several scenes where she does it she's quite funny she's always in the bed wearing negligees and basically they're sort of nouveau riche wannabes and they get invited to this party and she really really wants to go because now she can be with nice people but she wears this dress uh, that it's kind of indescribable it was it was really talked about it was a talk of the town when she wore this dress oh yeah because it was considered very risky i didn't think it was that risque but again it was just, it was very like, it was completely gold and shiny yeah, and very uh, like clinging. Yeah, very clinging. But it wasn't like today where they can make clinging because they didn't have spandex or kind of elastic back then. So it was supposed to she had to be sewn into it and everything. But it wasn't clinging like it would be today. So, yeah. But for those days, no bra and uh, all of that. So that was still her thing at the time. She wanted to get out of it. She wanted more... Uh, serious roles she wanted better parts and so forth but she was very good in this I thought it was pretty good I would recommend it wouldn't you yeah it was very entertaining and you get to yeah see a lot of different really popular stars of the time kind of play themselves to a degree in some instances and 
John Barrymore especially is oh. who I'm thinking of when I when you say that. <laughs> I love a good John Barrymore movie. I mean, yeah. that guy, um, and for those of you who don't know him, he was a very, very famous uh, stage actor, and he came from the great uh, Barrymore acting dynasty, who is now um, represented today by Drew Barrymore, who is his granddaughter. And he uh, was known as The Profile. And so he had this amazing, like, Roman nose profile. And it's very funny in the in the film. They make a big deal about his ego and so forth. And so he has, like, three different pictures of himself in his hotel room. Right. Just in the background. <laughs> it's very, very funny. And he's he was a great, great friend of Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn idolized him. See our earlier uh, podcast. We talked for a way length. more episode about that but yeah i thought he was good and he was uh both both funny and wry and and uh, satiric and sad in, in a theatrical way all right this is the pinnacle of harlow's career and we're coming to the last film at the pinnacle and after this it somewhat goes downhill so okay then she was in this is the last one 1933 again this is a film called bombshell where basically the film is well they say oh it could be about clara Bow's life it could be about her life Whatever. It's about the Hollywood star life. She's the glamour queen, the platinum blonde bombshell, and she's getting fed up with everybody basically sucking off her. She's supporting her father and her brother. Gee, that sounds familiar. Her brother, and she's uh, everybody's taking advantage of her, and she wants to have more serious roles. She wants better roles. Classic. It could be her, but it could be really. It could be any actress. Really. But the del- one of the delights of this film is that they keep making references to Harlow's real life. So basically during the film, oh, she needs to go back and do a reshoot of the barrel scene for Red Dust. And they go, oh, um, are, is, are you going to be uh, with Gable in your next film? And, you know, oh, didn't Gable call me up? And so they made two or three references to Clark Gable, and they make references to uh, Red Dust. Did I watch this one with you? Yeah. Okay. I'm, we watched it first, so I missed. Exactly. And it basically, she's being harassed constantly by the studio publicist played by an actor called Lee Tracy, who is kind of a rat-a-tat-tat, you know, quick-talking guy. He's not a leading man. He should not be playing the leading man in this movie. He's not good-looking. He's not charming. He, he's annoying as shit. And I, I can't stand him. But, and they kind of hint there might be some love between them. But, and that's why they fight like cats and dogs. I enjoyed many aspects of this film. And there are bits where, so she's got the kind of the shrikiness going on. But then she also decides, oh, she, well, in order to make her life have meaning, she wants to adopt a baby. And she goes to see the baby. And, and she, she gets all gooey over the baby and, and starry-eyed over the baby. But she does it in a funny way. So it's not just like sickening. It's actually sickening and funny and then later on she um runs away she says i quit i don't want to be in the movies anymore i'm sick of this i'm sick of you manipulating me and getting me bad publicity and making me look like a bad loose woman and because he's always putting out stories about her looseness uh, which she isn't but he wants to get the publicity because it it builds her bombshell reputation right so one of the best parts of the movie is she meets poor old francho tone who's an actor who is sort of a good-looking B actor who never gets the girl. And I don't know, should I even tell this part? I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, sure. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Go for it. It's hilarious because basically he meets her in the desert accidentally. And he's, oh, you're so lovely. You're the most lovely woman I've ever met. Lola Burns? 
I've never heard of Lola Burns. I don't go to movies. She's like, oh, how refreshing. He's going <laughs> to like me for me. And so he romances her. And in one day, they've decided to get married. And he's so, and, you, and you're going, this guy is so phony. And he plays it up so phony. And he says lines to her like, your hair is like a field of silver daisies. I'd like to run barefoot through your hair. <laughs> your mouth is like a gardenia opening in the moonlight. <laughs> it's just like, and of course, she's just sucking it up. She's just buying it all. And it's very, very funny. And it ends up that the manic press agent for the studio has hired these people to set her up so that uh, once they reject her as not being high-toned enough for their set, she'll come back to the studio again, which it works. It really is a good mixture for Harlow of all of the, the different aspects of her, of her, of her roles. So, mm. so from here on, she's in some decent films, but she's also in a lot of crap. And she's also um, more often the female co-lead. So it's just her career has begun to soften a little bit. I'm not sure why. I think it's mm. because really it's after Bombshell or during the period of Bombshell where she goes on strike. Yeah, And this is where she's, they, they start throwing some little crumbs her way and I think it's that she's being punished and it, it it does hurt her career to a certain extent she's still very popular but it does because her next film is The Girl from Missouri which is apparently not very good I haven't seen that and then the one after that is Reckless which I enjoyed and I recommend it as a lesser film and in Reckless she stars with her new love his name is William Powell and if you've ever seen The Thin Man he's the star of The Thin Man and who does he look like? Just like her dad. He looks a lot like Paul Byrne. A lot like Paul Byrne. So this is Jean Harlow's new... New love. Yeah. Flame. Yeah. Um, and, and William Powell is a fantastic actor. Again, he's like about 15 years older than her. Or 17 years older than her, I think. So he's older. He looks just like her father. He's got a big receding forehead. He's got the mustache. He's a very intelligent man, very good actor, very funny, uh, especially with he's so great with the repartee and the whimsy of the time and the snappy dialogue. And uh, so they play together in Reckless, and it's one of his better roles. Uh, I mean, not better than Thin Man, but it's one of his really, really good roles. He's He has a, a range here where he can be sort of vulnerable and tender to being sort of a hard, snappy, crackling guy. Also stars... Francho Tone as the young man who tries to <laughs> romance her and William Powell's the man who really loves her and uh, she plays a stage star where she's a song and dance star and I think this is the punishment she could neither sing nor dance mm. so first of all she's lip syncing to a voice that's a very good voice but doesn't really sound like it would come from her she does an okay job lip syncing, um, so she didn't do a bad job. And then she's also a dancer, so all the dance scenes are cut from far away because it's not her and the person, the choreography and the person doing dancing is not that good. You're like, how could this person be a star? She's barely mediocre in her dancing. That really undercut the film as well. But it was, it was kind of cute. It was sweet. It was a typical triangle. She's with the wrong man. And then she ends up being with the right man. That's how it works. It's very interesting in this one. Francho Tone marries her. And then the, the girl that he should really have married, who's of his class, is... Rosalind Russell. So we got Rosalind Russell again in here as the dark-haired woman who right. really loves him. But um, but it's cool because they're women who understand, even though it doesn't pass the Bechdel test and they only talk about men, it does pass the test in as much as they 
have a sisterhood and they un, they like each other. It's interesting, actually, not a triangle but a, but a quadrangle, um, where um, Francho Tone is like crazy, and this is great because there's actually a suicide suicide by gunshot in this, mm. and um, but anyway, uh, the singing and the dancing part is is not good and it's boring and the songs are not good and that's one of the problems too. There aren't any good songs in it. But William Powell, I like him, for a for a for a big foreheaded man. He's quite attractive. Yeah, I like him a lot, and and it, it's it's kind of sweet. I like sweet. him too. And I do like I do like Ros, Rosalind Russell quite a bit in this. She marries this kind of non-entity who's like not even I don't think even has a line uh-huh. when she marries this guy, but it it works out really well. And but it's not it's not a top class A movie. And then there's China Seas, which I did watch, and where Gene <laughs> Arlo has to be. With Wallace Beery again, who she hates. Oh, and no. Clark Gable's in this as well. So apparently they did all kinds of shitty stuff to Wallace Beery because they both hated him. <laughs> on the set, it was his birthday, and they had a big cake made out of soap. <laughs> a big birthday cake made out of soap. Wow. And then he got mad, so they got a big birthday cake made out of a sponge. <laughs> they gave it to him. <laughs> they really hated him. That's awesome. And apparently he was being a, a jerk on this. And again, this is another one, Racist China. Mm-hmm. So they really liked that Asian racism at this period in Hollywood. That yeah, was like totally really in Orientalism. Yeah. Like oh, for sure. And basically, it was about pirates. Not and they weren't Asian pirates. They were like, kind of I don't know, Barbary kind of pirates. Anyway, mm. the pirates were going to come and take the ship, and there was gold hidden on the ship. And Clark Gable's the the uh, captain of the ship. And Jean Harlow, what is she? Is she a prostitute? Probably. I think she is a prostitute in this film. She is. Who's ha- hooked up with Gable before, blah, blah, blah. And so this is one of those ones where, um, you know, and then there is Rosalind Russell. And Rosalind Russell is the, she used to know Clark Gable back in the back in the old days in England. And he's, after he sells the, the gold and gets it where it needs to go, he's going to leave the, get rid of his boat and stop being a captain and go and live with her and smoke his pipe. And of course he's not, he's, He's meant to be on the China Seas with uh, Gene Harlow. Right. But what's kind of awesome, do, do you want me to spoil the plot here? Sure. What's kind of awesome is Gene Harlow loves him. And this is where she, she this is the period where she starts to turn into, uh, where she becomes like a, a little screamy, screamy woman, which I don't like. I call it a shrike. I don't like her in this, her, her, the tone that they make her take in it. Not her fault. She's got some great gowns in this, by the way. Mm. Anyway, she uh, is in love with Gable, and she's mad and jealous, in this case, about uh, uh, Rosalind Russell. Mm. So she hooks up with Wallace Beery to make him jealous. Wallace Beery's like, he's he's the one who's leading the way to um, take the ship undercover. So Gable doesn't know this for sure, but he knows that pirates might take over the ship. So what happens is she is going to warn Gable and tell him about it, and she goes to him, and he rejects her. He won't even listen to what she has to say because she was screaming at Rosalind Russell, and she was being rude to Rosalind Russell, so he doesn't even want to hear anything from her because she's just this jealous bitch kind of thing, right? So she <laughs> steals the uh, the key to the arsenal, gives it to Wallace Beery so he can get all the guns <laughs> out of the Jeez. ship's arsenal, and then they take over the ship, and they are like, 
putting the boot on people to, to find out where the gold is because it's hidden on the ship. And you know, the boot is where they put this thing on your foot and then they screw it down and squeeze it and break all the bones in your feet. So that's happening. Brutal. Yeah. They do it to this one guy and they would tell him. And then they do it to Clark Gable in one scene where he gets to have like all kinds of looks on his yeah. face. And, and all these like pop-eyed and stuff like this. But he's a strong man, so he never, you know. Doesn't, yeah, scream and break down. Scream and break down at all. But he, he does cry a little bit in agony. So essentially what happens is in the end, it ends up, he ends up being, they end up being thwarted and they get arrested and it comes out that, that Jean Harlow was the one who got the key. And she's going to like be all like ass whooped over this and <laughs> hung or whatever they do, put in jail. But then she says, oh, I only did it because I was so jealous and I gave him the key, but... When I did that before that, I was going to warn you. I would planned on warning you, but then I, you were so mean to me, I didn't. And somehow, <laughs> I swear to God, oh, he okay. says, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to <clears throat> testify in your behalf that you were going to warn me. Like somehow, that, that was gonna, that was gonna save her. So when they come to arrest her, she goes off smiling and happy, and she's waving to him, and he's waving to her, and like they, they're telling us that everything is gonna be fine, and they're gonna be together. It was the stupidest ending. <laughs> This is not a good movie. <laughs> I do not recommend it unless you are a Gene Harlow or um, Clark Gable completist. It's really su- super stupid. That is the stupidest ending I ever heard of. <laughs> it is very stupid. And then the next film, Riff Raff, is, she, does, she stars with uh, Spencer Tracy. And it, again, is another super stupid movie. Super stupid. Basically, she has a kid with Spencer Tracy. They're married. He goes off because he can't be a big shot. He's a, a, a fisherman. And he, there's a whole union issue, and they end up being crushed, and he's goes off because he's going to be a, a big superstar, and he'll let her know. And he can't make it as a politician. He ends up being in Hooverville uh, with rags, but he can't admit it, and he won't take her help. And so she ends up going with this slimy foreigner, unfortunately, with an accent. Again, stereotype but he's a good businessman and he's got he's got money so she's the mistress of the um the businessman um and living high on the hog and everything and she's pregnant at this time and she finds out that that her husband destitute so she asks the her boyfriend for money he won't give it to her so she steals it meaning to pay it back she's going to pay him back of course but she takes it because she's got to give it to to, to her husband and he sees her and he can't handle it so he runs away and so he's holding this wad of money and while she's standing there holding the wad of money the police roar up arrest her right she's in jail she bears the child in jail they take the child away and it's living with her sister so her husband comes back okay if you go out through the, the storm pipe when it's raining you'll be able to get away and we'll go down to Mexico and she's like oh, I'm not gonna do that and then it starts raining, and she goes, okay, I'm going to go, right? <laughs> and so in the meantime, he's gone back, and he's gotten his union card back because everybody in the union hated him for being a total jerk when he was running the union before, being like a real, real, hmm. like a dictator. And so, but they, they forgive him, the auspices of his friend, and he gets his union card back, so now he can earn a living, right? But... And now he can say, hey, I'm, mar- I'm married to her. I've got my union card. I can support her. She's got a place to come. Give her parole, right? But she doesn't know any of this. So she escapes. Now, you know, that's the end. 
So she's waiting. And so there's this whole complicated machinations that I won't get into because it'd be very boring for the listeners. But what ultimately happens is he says he didn't know that he had a baby. So he hears, this is my child? I will take him. I will raise him. <coughs> I've got my union card. I can get a job. And she goes, okay, then I'm okay with going back to jail. And so she happily goes back to jail. <laughs> Okay. It was similar plot. Really stupid. Really stupid. But again, it's that code thing where they're trying to uh, bend over backwards because she's got to be punished, right? Yeah. And and because she was not only did she steal, but really she was sleeping with this Infidelity. guy, and that's really what yeah. she's got to be be punished for. And so they they just do this Gumby esque knot twisting, <laughs> and it was horrible. But now we'll get onto a good one. Unfortunately, I'm doing so much talking here, guys. I'm so sorry. But Zoe didn't see a lot of these. Um, just a, a little backstory on our process. Like I said, she doesn't have as much time to watch as I do. And so I watched more of the films to try to fill in the gaps. And um, I don't know whether we're, we're talking about whether that really works or not or whether she needs to see what I see. So Because I really value and want her input because she really does bring some fresh eyes to these things and uh, some really good um, ideas and insights. And I, you know... I kind of wish she could watch more movies with me. <laughs> anyway, she didn't watch this one. It's called Got the Most Horrible Title. This was in 1930s. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, Bombshell was 33. She only did one movie in 34, Girl from Missouri. Uh, two movies in 35, Reckless in China Sea. So again, we're seeing Not Good, Not Good for like three years. And at this time, she's also coming down ill a lot. And one of the reasons she didn't do as many films is she was she's going out sick. She had uh, a, a tooth infection that uh, turned into sepsis, and she was just feeling fluish and not well. And really, that's a sign that she probably the um, her kidney failure was probably beginning to kick in. And but it was slow, and she uh, because your body can't kick off infections as easily, and you know you end up um, not feeling well either. There's, you, know, you tend to have nausea, water weight gain, fatigue, and she was very fatigued at this time. She was always tired, and I think that also shows up a little bit in in um, she's she pushed out a lot of energy in these films but increasingly it felt like when she had to be really energetic it ended up being that kind of screamy hysterical energy because I think she was just trying to push out a performance when she was in her more subdued performances she did a lot better because she wasn't having to, to, to generate a, a ton of energy that's why she did many fewer films hmm. at this time and unfortunately they just weren't as good now in 1936 <clears throat> She did manage to do three films, two of which were pretty good. And Wife versus Secretary, horrible title, was actually a pretty good film. She stars in it with Clark Gable and uh, Myrna Loy. <laughs> and Myrna Loy, again, she's the, the wife and the thin man. She's Nora Charles. Love Myrna Loy. Big, big Myrna Loy fan. Myrna Loy, she was always, almost always, reasonable, uh, well-bred, elegant, and charming um, and, and often had a, a good snappy repartee. So she was kind of my ideal. I really like Myrna Loy a lot. And she's adorable. She's not only beautiful, she's adorable at the same time. So she and Jean Harlow are pretty good in this film together. So she's the wife. Gable and she adore each other. And they make it really clear in the very first scene that they had a pretty good night of hot sex. <laughs> and they love each other. Hotsy-totsy. And then he has a secretary who is 
Jean Harlow. She's very efficient. He calls her Whitey. And they are the best of best working companions. They're not really friends in this so much, but at least at the beginning. But um, she really understands him. He understands her. She's she does a, just a great job. He really respects her. They just work hand in glove, so they have a great relationship. And really, it seems like the point of the the men behind this movie is to wives: don't be jealous. Let your husband do what he wants. You're the one. Don't make trouble. You know, uh, because it's your fault. You know, if you're making trouble. Well, the the trouble really begins in that Myrna Lloyd does trust him and doesn't have a problem, is that people keep telling her, oh, I wouldn't want that hot bombshell around my husband. And, oh, I would, you know, oh, what's going on there? And he's working late nights. Whoa. And so she's like, no, I'm, I, I'm fine. I trust him. We love each other. So on, and so on and so forth. And he is dedicated to his job and he does spend a lot of time. And I'm supported by that. I don't see why I should be criticizing him for it. So she's the angel in the house. And then we have the, the working girl. And so this is the transition from that flapperish kind of character to this really working girl. Harlow is very grounded. I mean, she's considered to be very good looking and she wears nice clothes but she's not a sex bomb her hair is no longer platinum mm. it's more of the natural ash blonde that it, that it should be because she decided that she wasn't in at china china seas was kind of the end of that in china seas her hair was really really taking a beating and she it was really getting damaged because uh, apparently they use something like uh, bl- household bleach and peroxide and luxe soap flakes and and something else on her hair to, to get it to be that color and it was and she had to touch up her roots every week so it was uh very damaging and she was just getting fed up and she didn't want to be a platinum blonde she didn't want to be known for her hair to be mm-hmm. hair acting as she called it so uh during china sea she wore a wig she didn't have her hair she wouldn't dye her hair anymore mm-hmm. and they wore the platinum wig and there's one scene in it where um the uh a tsunami or typhoon or whatever you call these storms at sea come washing over the ship and she's drenched and her hair's all wet and everything and they said no no you we you, the wig isn't going to work we can't it's not going to look natural uh wet and so we need to use your natural hair so you need to to do the um the, the bleaching and she says no i'm not going to do it that scene is about and you when you see it it's like barely five seconds long. I am not bleaching my hair for a five-second scene. And so uh, so finally they gave in and she didn't have to do it. And um, and so going forward, she just would not bleach her hair anymore. And she still looks lovely and she's still attractive. She's still got those eyebrows, but they're not quite as bad. They're not like halfway up her forehead. And um, anyway, so that's her look in this film. And she does get to wear a few really snazzy dresses, but it's uh, Myrna Loy is the rich woman who wears the most amazing, elegant, beautiful dresses. She just mm. looks fantastic. Beautiful jewels. And, and there's a, the opening scene is pretty delightful. After they had this hot night of sex, and the next day is their wedding anniversary, she goes down and she and Gable are having this little repartee about the, the trout, the roast trout they're having for breakfast, and the trout that they caught. And she says, oh, the big trout is mine. He says, no, no, I caught the trout. She says, no, I used a Parmacini bell, and I got that trout. Remember, I changed from a fluffity fluff, or whatever they called it, to a Parmacini bell, and I caught that. And he says, oh, you're right, this big trout is yours. So he puts it on her plate, and she's eating it, and she goes, clunk, 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 and she opens the trout up, and inside is this fancy diamond bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> and that was her, 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 um, her anniversary, their third anniversary gift, right? 
And they're super rich and upscale. They own a mag- he owns a magazine. And so anyway, he works hand in glove with Harlow. So basically, again, it's a triangle. And at the other point of the triangle is Harlow's boyfriend, who is James Stewart. Rear window. Mm. Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Except he's young and he's not so unattractive now. He's still, he's, he's somewhat attractive. I've never found him attractive, but at least he's young. Uh, it's a wonderful life. That James Stewart. Yep. When you say James Stewart, it throws me off because I'm so used to Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, yeah. He, um, so again, he's not the big star yet, so he plays the second male lead. And basically, um, the the Gable-Loy combination, very good. They're very good together. She's adorable. I really do feel this, the, the, that they're attract, the, the attraction, the chemistry between them, which I don't feel with the, uh, the Harlow. And essentially... Um, Basically, she's her jealousy is peaked because he's going Who's? to do. Oh, I'm sorry. Myrna Loy's jealousy is finally peaked after her trusting her husband with this secretary. But one day he comes in and he tells her a lie about where he's been because he's been trying to do this deal, this supposed to be super secret deal, and the only person he can trust it, uh, the secret with his his secretary because she was there and she was helping him. He can't tell. He can't even tell Linda his wife. Now, why he can't tell his wife is only because that's what the plot needs. Because she's not going to tell anybody. She's At no point is she convinced that she's anything but completely loyal and not a blabbermouth. Yeah. I would, they're they're going to kidnap her and torture this yeah, information I, out of her or I know. something. <laughs> but, but because they need it for the plot. Yeah. So he lies to her, and she can see that he's lying. And she asks him questions, and he gives her bold-faced lies that she can tell it is wrong. And, and she... And she um, is and so she she's hurt she's really really hurt and and Lloyd plays this so well because she does not ever come become strident she's hurt deep inside because he's lying to her and everybody's been warning her about this affair and he knows she knows he has been not where he said and that he was with the um the secretary mm-hmm. she knows that and so her reaction is very reasonable and that when she questions him he doubles down on the lie so instead of telling her, you know, I was doing a negotiation for a business deal and I just really can't talk about it right now, you know, I, I'll tell you all about it at the right time, but I want you to know that's what I, that's what I was working on and that's why I'm not telling you where I am. I mean, it's just that that's the poor part of the script. And so then we can get into that Harlow, she breaks up with her boyfriend because he basically wants her to quit her great job, her great high-paying job, because he's essentially, well, I don't want my wife to work, but also because he's kind of jealous of Clark Gable and her closeness with him. So it's like, oh, you can't have a closeness with another attractive person unless it's going to be sexual. So essentially they end up going down to Havana and they have the opportunity to sleep together. And the movie kind of indicates that they didn't, but they kind of leaves the door open that maybe they did. But I think... In all fairness, it has to be. I, I don't think it'd be fair to say that they did. Yeah, I think they didn't. And so it ends up then. Um, she's sorry. She's going to divorce him. And then the way it resolves is, Harlow goes to her and says, "When you leave, he won't be as happy with anyone else as you could make him. But I could ha- make him happy as anybody else could. And he wants me to go on a trip with him to Bermuda just as friends. But you know, it's not going to stay that way." So if you don't come back, you're going to lose him forever. So basically, she's trying to get them back together. But she knows that if she has the opportunity, she'll go with him. 
And so she comes back. So not the Bechdel test. <laughs> but it's like then then Harlow leaves when they get back together and goes back. And her boyfriend says, oh, I was wrong. Really need to be able to trust your, your person, your, the person you're with. And I trust you. And I'm not going to try to get you to give up your job. And so, so she's like, okay, give me back my ring. <laughs> so, so, they're, so they're engaged again. So it's a happy ending, contrived. But it, it, there's a lot of smart dialogue, a lot of energy, a lot of beautiful clothes, really cool hats, which I love a good hat movie. I know. Yeah, you know me. I'm always looking at those hats. So I do recommend this one. Again, not above uh, Red Dust or above The Red-Headed Woman um, or even uh, Platinum Blonde. But I do recommend this. I think it's very good. Then in 36, she does another film called Susie with uh, good old um, famous Cary Grant, which is interesting, but um, I haven't heard much good about it, and I, we didn't watch that one. And then we come to her final movie in 36, Libeled Lady, which you have seen. And uh, this, again, is an odd kind of, of quadrangle where Spencer Tracy is engaged to Jean Harlow, and then there is William Powell, who is her real-life fiancé, who um, is engaged or uh, to Myrna Loy <laughs> in this. And then there's this crossover where um, she is uh, somewhat flapperish a little bit in that she uh, picks men up and puts them down, and she's constantly uh, uh, getting engaged and dumping men. And so uh, the newspaper prints this article about her basically is kind of a heartbreaker and a and she's going to sue them for libeling her um, because they do print some things that aren't true and she's going to sue them for enough money like a hundred thousand dollars or that's going to break them and her dad hates the newspaper so right yeah so they're like oh shit so gotta protect the newspaper so spencer tracy is the newspaperman and he i don't like spencer tracy by the way i'm just going to say this out right i don't I don't think he's a very good actor, and I know that people hold him up as an acting god because he listens, and he just listens, and he really listens, and then he reacts. And he did that more when he was older. Um, I still don't like him. I still think he's like kind of like a male pig. I don't like yeah. him at all. Um, not, not as much as I dislike John Wayne, but I don't care for him at all. But anyway, younger days, he's all blustery and bluff and yelly, and so he plays a newspaperman. So so he's going to convince her to drop the suit by getting a reporter that they previously fired off the newspaper to woo her uh, in some way and convince her to to drop the suit. And William Powell being all suave and, and smart and everything. And so essentially, okay, so Spencer Tracy, uh, he is engaged to Jean Harlow, and he keeps leaving, I'm just starting back from yeah. there, and he's leaving her at the altar um, all the time because of some fire that happens in the newspaper. He's got to put it out. Oh, my God, there's always these disasters. She's getting really angry. So Spencer Tracy comes up with this brilliant plan where in order to get Myrna Lloyd to drop the suit against the newspaper, he's going to create a real scandal that will and blackmail her with it. So he's going to get William Powell, the handsome, well, he's not handsome, the charming... <laughs> The suave. The suave, charming, witty um, uh, news reporter that he previously fired from the newspaper, so he has to do some song and dance to get him on board, to go and to 
one, romance Smyrna Loy, get her to fall in love with him, two, to marry his own fiance, Jean Harlow, uh, as a really as a paper wedding, so they're never supposed to sleep together or anything like that. And by having William Powell be married to Jean Harlow and then romancing Myrna Loy, the lie that they previously printed about her will actually be truth now because she will be breaking up a marriage. She will be dating a married man. thing is, Loy doesn't know anything about this marriage. But try to prove that. <laughs> so essentially, um, what happens during their... Uh, time together where they're supposed to be married, uh, Harlow and Powell, um, they stay in the same hotel suite, right? And he's really nice to her. First of all, she hates him. And then in order to keep her on board, to keep her from blowing up the situation, he kind of romances. He you know, gives her flowers and he'll dance with her and he has dinner with her and he's, he's really nice to her and he stops being like making snappy remarks and stuff like that. And so she kind of falls for him. So now she wants it to be a real marriage, not a <laughs> fake marriage. And then that causes a bunch of jealousy with Spencer Tracy because all of a sudden he realizes what he might lose. And everything comes to the fore. And Jean Harlow's locked in the, the, ho- uh, the hotel room and she's screaming and she's hysterical throughout this whole movie. Did not like her, did not like the way she had to be in this. Myrna Loy knocks on the door and they have a little woman-to-woman chat about men. She calms Jean Harlow down and while they're talking, the men get into a fist fight and Spencer Tracy punches William Powell and that makes Jean Harlow realize that Spencer Tracy really loves her and she really loves him and everything is okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens in 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 the film. Okay, so we finally unwound that one. I thought it was pretty fun. I really liked that one. That was one of my more favorites of the ones we watched, actually, because we didn't talk at all about Myrna Loy and William Powell together, but they're really good together, and they're just, I don't know, extremely charming, and and yeah, I don't know. I liked that. And it had a lot of twists and turns in the uh, in the ongoing interactions in the quadrangle that were unusual that I hadn't seen before, Yeah, and that made it funny and, and surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think Jean Harlow wasn't as hysterical as you remember either. She was, she's pretty yelly. Maybe a little bit. I guess when she was with William Powell, and she calmed down. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, and that and again the which is kind of unusual. I would have I would expect it to be unusual, but in like the majority of Jean Harlow movies, there's kind of a lack of female competitive or or there's female competitiveness, yes. but there's a lack of a toxicity. Yeah. Like a female toxicity or. Um, yeah, they don't hate Cattiness. each other. Yeah, that yeah. it isn't it isn't uh, ad hominem, whatever mm-hmm. that might be for women, right? It isn't uh, it isn't I hate you or I'm I I feel vicious toward you. It's just okay. We both kind of want the same thing. How how is this going to happen? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. So I'm impressed with that overall as like a feature of most of her movies. Right, and um, just going back to um, um, wife versus secretary, her role is. Very grounded. There isn't. She does not have one shouty moment, really. It's it's very grounded. She's very adorable, very likable. You can understand why um, at some point he might actually be attracted to her and, and even think about it, even though he's got fabulous Myrna Loy as his wife, and um, because she is she's really adorable, but she's not using it. In this case, she's not using her attractiveness. She's not using her sexuality. She's just really grounded, likable, sensible companionable somebody you can really trust and rely on so i really 
she could have done more movies like that. Yeah, I think that would have been she would have been very very good in that. Uh, but I don't think that she had the acting chops to really be like an amazing star outside of that persona. Okay, so um, the last film, she was uh, continuing to feel more ill and more ill, and, and um, during this period she went to uh, went out and. Um, hung out in the desert and was in the sun and she got a, a bad sunburn. She got a really bad sunburn and it took a really long time for it to heal and then usually a, a long amount of time and apparently that is a symptom of having kidney disease is the, the difficulty in healing mm. and she had uh, the sepsis as I said and, and and also you can see in these movies that she, these later movies, I mean she was never like a skinny mini but she was certainly slender enough but you see a little... You, if you look, you can see a poochy stomach. Of course, they're going to hide that. Um, but in this last year in particular, she gained a lot of water weight, and you can you can really see it. Um, again, not so much in her face, and it's surprising. She keeps her energy up. You wouldn't know she was ill at all. And the last film she did was uh, called Personal... last film she completed was called Personal Property, which I haven't seen. And then the very, very final last film she ever appeared in was called Saratoga with... Clark Gable, and the film is so weird because she's very ill, and at one point in the middle of a scene, she doubled over and just was like crying out in pain, mm. and, and baby's, baby's hurting, baby's sick, and so after that, she collapsed, and um, she ended up becoming bedridden. William Powell just was distraught. They had been dating for uh, two or three years, and she really wanted to get married to him, and he didn't want to marry her because he had also been married before, and he had a rough time of it. And it wasn't that he didn't love her. It's just that he was cherry of getting married again, and he kind of didn't want to go that way, and he just wasn't ready. And he was quite a bit older than her as well, so he followed that pattern. So they would see other people, and they would kind of break up, and they'd get back together, and it was on on and off thing. But they did love each other quite a bit. And so he was distraught when he heard that she was really ill, and then, then she became extremely ill, and they thought, well, she's got the flu, and oh, she's got, you know, a problem with her gallbladder, and it took them a, just, like, till right before she died to figure out that she had kidney disease. Hmm. And at the time, it wouldn't have mattered had they even diagnosed it early. There was no such thing as dialysis, and there wasn't any way to really treat it, so she was, you know had a death sentence as soon as she got it. Mm. And people go, oh, was it, it must have been her hair because she was dyeing her hair and that, that's what you know caused the disease or made her ill. And um, I think a more likely um, reason is that she had scarlet fever as a child, so she might have had some kidney damage from that illness when, when mm. she was young. Or maybe it was genetic, who knows. But she, um, she got bloated and, and toxic and she was very gray while she was filming this film and she had to rest between takes. There was no frivolity at all here. And um, eventually she, her eyesight started going and things got really mm. fuzzy. And right at the end, William Powell was with her and she said, I, I, it's so fuzzy, I can't see you. And then, then she died mm. um, because of that. And there are so many rumors and so, many, so much gossip and so much falsehoods about her death. And I had heard this and I had believed it. And they all came from a book that was written a uh, decade or two later, a couple decades later, where some disaffected servant um, said all these things and to make money uh, that, that made it all scandalous and, and, ooh, people would want to read this about that her mother was a Christian scientist and wouldn't allow her daughter to have uh, any kind of medical care. And that's not true at all. In fact, her mother had been away. When she came back, 
uh, and saw that her daughter was ill, she, she immediately supported her daughter going to the doctor and calling the doctor, had no problem with it at all, had no problem with her. In fact, Harlow was resistant to going to the hospital and resistant to getting medical care, and her mother urged her to do it. So her, it was not her mother's fault. A lot of people want to pin it on the mother and say it's her fault that, mm. that Harlow died because she prevented her from getting medical care, but that's not true. It was not her hair that caused her to get kidney disease and die. <laughs> So, so these falsehoods, you know, it's really too bad. They're try, just trying to make a big scandal out of the whole thing. Out of what was just a terrible tragedy for this very young woman who died. And I mean, Harlow did have an alcohol problem at one time after Paul Byrne died and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, but it wasn't known that she was a big drinker or drug user or anything like that. So it didn't seem to be related to that. But anyway, what is so very odd about this film is that during the film, in, in the story... She becomes really ill, and she, except she's really super, like got a super bad cold or something. And Clark Gable has to minister to her, and she's really sick in the film. And it's it's just it's you know just really kind of a weird precursor. They write it in like that on purpose. No, they didn't know she was ill. How funny. And then she there's a a point where she's wearing this fancy negligee with these puff sleeves. Well, they in the end they chose to bury her in that negligee, hmm. which is so weird. They did finish the film. The film was far enough along that they were able to finish it. It isn't a great film. I'm not recommending it for itself. It's all about horse racing. And they still had some scenes they had to do. So they would have somebody stand in. And it's really weird because the woman will have the hair. And she'll be wearing a big hat. And she'll have her back to the screen. And she'll just reach out and pick up the phone. And then there'll be this voice imitating Gene Harlow's yeah. voice. And then in most of the scenes, she doesn't even speak. She's just at the races with binoculars held up to her eyes. And at the very, very end, when they have to get, she gets together with Clark Gable, it's just she's got her back to the camera, and she just reaches out, and then they hold hands. And that's the oh. end. It's really weird. It's very interesting to see how they did it. But I'm sure a lot of people went to see it because it was her last film. Yeah, and you can see, you can see the negligee she was buried in. Yeah, yeah. So when you watch that film, you just it, it's weird. It has, a, it has a lot of different little echoes that just were accurate. That's very strange. Hmm. So that's the life and loves of Jean Harlow. And I hope that you will watch some of her films. Uh, check it out for yourself. See if you agree or disagree and let us know. We'll be talking about film history all the time, and this is a big piece of it. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.